I'm wondering like how it's socially acceptable for kids to eat Smarties in church, but adults not, because like my girls come to church every week and get given Smarties by Betty Strachan. Um, and I was putting Emily to bed on Friday night, and I said, who do you want to pray for? And she said, my favorite. And I said, oh, that's, that's so nice. You want to pray for your dad? Um, I said, who's your favorite? And she said, Betty. <laughs> she gives me Smarties. So, you know, like, if you ever thought spiritual blackmail and all of that sort of thing, then Betty's your lady to talk to. But, no, it's an amazing picture. You're not, re- not really Betty. The girls absolutely adore you. Um, as do we, as do we all, because isn't that just one of the amazing things about being a church family? And for me, having children that age, it really does highlight, and I just want to say this over everybody, I feel it's the right thing to say again. We said it on Father's Day, we said it on Mother's Day, but you are all spiritual parents to our young people, and that is the amazing truth, that whether you have children of your own or not, you all have that role to play in, in, in the lives of our young people, but you are also Uh, Each of you have that role to play in each other's lives as well. We are brothers and we are sisters. We are a community. I I, I can't stress this enough. It is just so important that we really grow in in this, in this incredible truth. And I think that that will come out a little bit later in some of what I want to say. Um, There's also kind of two distinct parts this morning because as we get, uh, move towards the end of our time, we're going to be taking communion together. And there's something that I think it's really important that we do when we get to that stage. And so I couldn't, I didn't want to kind of try and like shoehorn it into exactly what I was saying this morning because this morning we're continuing our series, the I Am series. And just really, really quickly, because I know there are folk here who haven't been here, our visiting friends, but also other people in the congregation who for various reasons we've not seen for a while. It's so good to see you, uh, see you here again and to hear that people with health issues are improving and all of these sorts of things. That's absolutely incredible. But we're doing a series called I Am at the moment. And it isn't a series about the I Ams of who God is. It isn't like when uh, God says I am who I am when he reveals himself to Moses. It isn't the I am sayings of Jesus. It's actually I am sayings that we believe that the Bible teaches. And remember that word teaches. Somebody, somebody said it to me this week. I've been looking at one of my Bible teaches. Uh, because it isn't necessarily exactly what the Bible says. The Bible is far too complicated for us just to trot out this, this often um, evangelical phrase of the Bible says. The Bible is, we, we should respect the Bible far more than simply to say the Bible says. And by that, what I mean is that sometimes what the Bible says isn't exactly what we want to do. The Bible is a history of a people seeking to walk with God, isn't it? It is, okay? Some of you are nodding. The Bible is a history of people seeking to walk with God. Sometimes those people got it wrong. That's why it encourages people like us. Sometimes they got it right. And our challenge as we read Scripture, whether that's in the Older Testament or the New Testament, is to actually be saying, you know, what is God trying to say through this? Just because in the Old Testament there were certain great saints, and they were great saints who had multiple wives. It doesn't mean that we can have multiple wives. Just because there were people who got drunk, it doesn't mean that that's a good thing or part of God's plan for us. The, the, the challenge for us as followers of Jesus is to say, what is the Bible teaching? And so um, 
two weeks or three weeks ago, sorry, we thought about something that the Bible very clearly teaches. And we said, the Bible very, very clearly, it's a foundational truth in Scripture. It says, I am created in the image of God. And we thought about some of the implications of that for us. Then last week, we thought about a phrase that I said, nowhere in Scripture will you find this phrase exactly. And yet the Bible teaches it. And it is this, I am a work in progress. And then this week, because we are moving into our Mission Mania week and we're at the start of the summer holidays and everything like that, I thought it would be really important just to have a quick think about why it is that we do what we do. And the phrase this week is therefore this, I am sent. I am sent. As a follower of Jesus, as foundational as the fact that you are created in the image of God, as foundational as the fact that you are a work in progress, is the fact that you are sent. Not just those of you who identify as an evangelist. Not just those of you for whom it comes easily to share your faith. Not just those of you who are bold and courageous or anything like that. You are all sent. Matthew 28 says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, that is Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. (laughs) That encourages me so much. That some of them, even as they saw Jesus, doubted. I doubt. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. It's amazing that we have all nations or many nations here with us this morning. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love when Jesus meets the fishermen for the first time. It's one of my favorite encounters in all of Scripture because Jesus meets these fishermen. And, and if you don't know about the fishermen, fishermen, uh, were the, they were like the working class guys of their time. They were like the sun reading, wolf whistling guys. You know, Picture what you might think of as like a guy on a building site and... And, you know, this is, like, really stereotypical, so I'm sorry if you're a building site guy, but, like, we're talking, like, page three of the sun, like, pinned up in the coffee break room and, that, and all of that sort of thing. They, they were the working class laborers of their day. And Jesus meets them, and he says, follow me. And then he says, follow me and. And, and in that moment, I love to pause and think, what is the and that is going to follow? What is the and that Jesus is going to pin on to these fishermen because it might be follow me and I'm going to make you less of a yob follow me and I'm going to make you slightly more refined follow me and I'm going to teach you how to read or how to write or follow me and I'm going to get you a theology degree or teach you how to be a worship leader or whatever it might happen to be and yet Jesus says to these these as I say yeah just kind of working class guys he says follow me and I will make you fishers of men in other words from the very start of the, of the first disciples, the first followers of Jesus, from the very beginning of their calling, is this calling to be missionary. And then, as we witness Jesus' last words to them here on earth, it's a reminder. It's like the calling of the disciples and the goodbye to the disciples. We read it in Acts as well, Luke's second account. Just before Jesus ascends into heaven, we, 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 we read that Jesus bookends their calling. I will make you fo- uh, fishers of men. Go into all the world. At the heart of what it was and at the heart of what it is to be a follower of Jesus 
is to be one who is sent. And, and, and the very first thing that I believe we need to recognize when we say this is the reason that we are called to be sent is because going back three weeks, we are made in the image of God and God is the sent one. God is the one who has always gone. I love that account. If you were to flick back to uh, the very first chapters of the Bible, you would read in the book of Genesis that God has created the world. He's created everything. It was good. And God has placed humanity at the center of his creation. Adam and Eve are there at the center of God's creation. And they have this choice. God has put them in this perfect place. And they have a choice. Because remember, God doesn't force us to follow him. He invites us to follow him. That's an important thing when we think about being a sent people. But at the center of this good creation is humanity. And humanity chooses to go its own way. They eat from the tree. You all know the story, or many of you know the story. And then we read these incredible words that God came down in the cool of the day and called out to Adam and Eve, where are you? The eternal God. All present, all knowing, all seeing. It's the same God who comes down and walks in the garden and says to people, where are you? And I was thinking about it as I prepared for this morning. Wouldn't that be an incredible question for us to ask of people as we seek to respond to God's call? Rather than telling them what we think they need to know. Starting with that divine question, where are you? And I feel that this is such an important thing for the church in the West at this time to to really start to grasp a hold of God's question, where are you? God's coming and walking with Adam and Eve. God's coming in the person of Jesus Christ and walking amongst us. Because we, you know, I'm sure that you've all done it. When I became a Christian, I just wanted to be part of building the best church ever. And, you know, and it was going to be like, it was going to have like professional musicians. It was going to have professional speakers, uh, good looking speakers so that we could do the 2018 calendar and everything like that. But, you know, it was going to, it was just going to be so amazing that nobody could ever help but come into it. And, and, and I thought that that's what was going to draw people to Jesus. I thought that, you know, if we build it, they will come. You know, it's that Kevin Costner film, isn't it? So many people sometimes say that to me. People say that to me about a church building. They're like, do you know what, Nick? We haven't got a church. And I just like bang my head on the, on the desk when people tell me we haven't got a church. But then they say, if we build it, they will come. And I say, no, they won't. No, they won't. Have you seen that pub up there? What did it start off as? It started off as a church. Have you seen the latest block of flats on the way down to Millport? What did it start off as? It started as, we love going to Millport. It started off as a church. If we build it, it does not mean that people will come. Because God is not the one who sits far off. Our God in Jesus Christ is not the one who sits far off on a rock somewhere saying, come to me. He does invite us to come to him. Of course he does. But he gets down and dirty. He rolls his sleeves up. He mucks in with humanity. And so when we think about what it means to be a sent people, we need to recognize first and foremost that we are sent because we are made in the image of the God who is sent and goes and goes and goes. Remember when Jesus breathes on the disciples. I've said this before in John, the end of John's gospel, when Jesus breathes on the disciples. It's John's Pentecost account almost. And John, he breathes on the disciples and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And scholars will tell you, because they told me, I'm not this clever. 
scholars will tell you that when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, it doesn't mean sent once. It means goes on sending. It's as the Father has sent me and continues to send me. The Son continues to be sent. Jesus continues to be sent. Jesus is in Roselle. Jesus is in the home of every person who's going to be coming along to Mission Mania this week. Jesus is already there because he is the sent one, not just sent passing in time and space, but sent now. God did build it. And we still rebelled. Why on earth would we think that we could be any better than God? Our call as the people of God is not to build it and hope that people come, but to respond to the missionary heart of God and to go to be sent ones. So being sent reflects the heart of God. Being sent isn't just about telling people. I love it in John's gospel, John chapter 13. Jesus says this. Let me just flick over to it. If you, It's John 13 and 35 if you're wanting to make any notes. But Jesus says this in John chapter 13. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the readers that I was reading this week says this, our witness includes even our actions towards each other. For if we become a genuine community of love and care, others will note that we are Jesus' disciples. If we become a genuine community of love and care, people will note that we are Jesus' disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when Karen is getting a little bit tired and, uh, you know, and, and annoyed, she gets a little bit stressy. Okay, I'm, I'm not at all like that myself. But, um, you know, when things are busy, when things are kind of you know, you've got a lot on and there's different people nipping you about different things and, and you've got to remember I work with Danella here. By the way, I'm just like insulting the two most important women in my life. I'm dead. Um, I hope my mum isn't listening to this on podcast. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes when things get a little bit busy, when things get intense, we start to fall out with each other, don't we? Now, I have never seen anybody fall out at Mission Mania. Okay. I've never seen anybody start to like get a little bit aggro with each other. I've never seen it get to the middle of the week and people are like, oh, have you heard what that person said? And have you heard what that person said? And oh, you know, and, and, and I was thinking about it. Jesus says, plain as day, how are they going to know that you're my disciples? Because you love one another. And so, and, and so whether it's at Mission Mania or whether it's as a local church here or whether it's as part of the universal church, which is what we are, part of our calling as a missionary people is to love one another. If you are going to be part of the Mission Mania team this week, my challenge to you is to love people all week, not just this afternoon while it's okay and not just tomorrow morning when it's all brand new, but on Wednesday morning when they stink and you stink and it's been raining solid for three days and... You know, which obviously we're praying it won't rain, okay? Or some of you are praying that it won't rain. Um, but that's another, that's another theological debate that we could have. Uh, but, but it is to love and to love and to love. It is to prefer one another. It's to put one another first. This has missional imperative. It is not just about being this kind of schmoozy, fluffy community. This is missionally essential. God is always united. 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit never fall out. They never go, oh, you've asked me that ten times already. Jesus never said to the Father, look, you've been telling me since before the creation of the world that I have to go down there. Would you just stop going on about it? Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. As the Father has sent me, and I'm paraphrasing here, I obediently went. And so our calling is, even when you're being asked again and again and again, is to do it obediently, yes, to prefer one another. Our unity in Jesus is absolutely essential in a week like this. Our unity in Jesus is absolutely essential at all times. And so I want to ask a question, not just for this week. A question that, again, I was saying to a friend this week, you know, when, if, I, if I were to ever stand here, and it's, it's kind of a cheesy thing, and say, here's a question for you guys, and I've got these three fingers pointing back at myself. It's a question I know I need to hear so much myself. But it is how are we living out this calling to be a united people? United and loving, not just putting up with. Okay, you know, we are family and family as it should be. Not simply family where you kind of, you wheel out the embarrassing aunt or uncle once a week, once a year or birthdays or Christmas or whatever. How are you living out this calling? Who do you need to go to and tell them you love them? Who do you need to start praying for? Because you can't even bring yourself to do that at times. My guess is that there's probably somebody in all of your lives for whom that is the case, for whom if your relationship with them was going to be the measure by which people saw whether or not you were followers of Jesus, that you're pretty glad that people don't see it. Being sent is not just about what we do. Being sent is about how we are with each other. Being sent is also not a solitary calling. And again, I believe this is so important in Mark Uh, chapter 6 in Luke chapter 10. In in Mark 6, we see Jesus sending out the 12. And it doesn't say that he sends them out on their own. It says that he sends them out in pairs. It's a really, really simple thing. And yet it is so important for us as we step out into this week. If you are volunteering at Mission Mania for the first time, then I would encourage you, Make sure you tell somebody and get somebody praying with you. If you're part of the team, pray with somebody every day. If you're not part of the team, uh, perhaps like after the service today, you might just actually find somebody and say, do you know what? I am going to pray for you every single day at the very least. Be prayer support. But if you're there throughout the course of the week, be talking to each other, be putting your arm around each other, be helping each other. Mission is not something that is done in a solitary setting. And the reason that we know that is because, as I've already said, Jesus is already on mission, at the end of that, of that great commission in Matthew, he says, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us as we go. Jesus is already there, but he continues alongside us by his Holy Spirit. And we are to do that with each other. This is not a solitary calling. You know, it's so amazing to see Christine here. It's absolutely 
just such a joy for us to see somebody who has responded to the call of God and gone out. But Christine hasn't gone out alone. Look, she's got her new community around her, but she is also with her community. She is with, we have Christine's picture up on our fridge. And every time you see it, you can just say a quick prayer for her. She is not alone. And neither should any of us be. And that is why it is so important so important that as we step into this missionary calling, if we really are going to, as we seek to say, what does it mean to be a people who are sent rather than call people to us, that we do it as a team, that we do it as a family. Being sent also encompasses all of our lives. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture is Colossians 3, chapter 17, verse 17. I don't know why I'm even turning to it. It says this, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. There was a, there was a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence. And uh, if, if you've ever read any of his stuff, there's a little book. It's, it's like about that thick. It's tiny. And yet its implications for our life are just so huge. It's called Practicing the Practice of the Presence of God. And this guy was like a kitchen hand or... He worked out in the gardens and sort of thing in this monastery. And he wasn't a theologian, he wasn't an academic or any of those things, but he learned to practice the presence of God even as he did the washing up, even as he did those things that we might think are so far away from the center of God's call on our life. Sometimes I try and do that and I've got to say I I don't get very far. Um, But The point is simply this. Being sent encompasses everything. Being sent involves everything that we do. And so even as we look forward to a week like this, and even as we plow so much time and resources and everything into it, the, the, the challenge to myself, and I believe the challenge to all of us is this. It isn't just about this week. It isn't just about going out this week and saying that we've done a week of mission. It isn't just about saying as people come into a tent and hear some people give a little talk or a little word or whatever you want to call it. It isn't just about at the end of this week saying that's us, done it again for another year. It's just the start. And I wonder if we were to measure our... I'll use the word evangelistic, but, I, but as I say, it's for people, all of us, it's not just those called to be evangelists. If we were to measure our evangelistic temperature as a church, whether we would see it like being 100 degrees this week and then just dropping down to a simmer or even less throughout the rest of the year, God calls us to be sent in everything. God calls us to be sent at all times. God calls us to be sent and for that sentness to encompass all of our life. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes this, and this is where I want to kind of leave things. Paul says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? 
What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And as I was praying and trying to think about not only this morning, but Mission Mania and every, the holiday club and the football club and, and all of these things earlier in the week, I just felt that there was such a reminder from God that we don't know where people are going to be at as they, come on, as they come along this week. For some people, we might be planting a seed. For other people, we might be watering the seed. And so, you know, I, I think it's a very... Uh, mistaken understanding of, of, of the gospel to say that people have heard the gospel just because they hear us talk a little bit about Jesus because we don't know where they're at. Some people might be ready to, to kind of, you know, to use that awful kind of idea to step over the line. Some people might be ready to say yes to Jesus. Other people haven't even got the seed in the soil yet. And so our challenge and, and the challenge for all of us, whether that's this week or whether, wherever that is in our lives, is, is to be prayerfully saying to God, where is this person? This is where we, we are so reliant on the Holy Spirit. We don't know. One kid might come in. One family might come in. One parent, one grandparent might come in. And they are just at that point where all you have to do is say the name of Jesus and they're going to get it. And please, God, may that happen. That's what we would love to see that happening. But there's going to be others coming along. And, and Jesus is just a word that somebody says in the playground or, or, or whatever it might happen to be. We don't know where they are, but the challenge for us as sent people is as Paul writes in, that, in, that, in those incredible words, he says, to do the role that the Lord has assigned to us. God is assigning us with tasks. God is giving us the, the, the privilege of playing a role in people's lives. And the challenge for us, and this is where discernment comes into it, is to say, God, where is this person? Where are they? Are they needing seed? Are they needing water? But in all things, to remember that the only one who makes it grow is God. I think it's really important that as we come to this week, we, I think it's great that we're going to take communion just now. And as we reflect on what it is to be sent, and, you know, we sometimes sing these words. We sing, uh, Lord, send revival, start with me. And uh, I was chatting to somebody about this during the week, and we were saying, you know, the thing that is constant, the thing that um, is central to every revival in the history of the world, I believe, um, although I obviously don't know about every single one, but is not only that people identify that I am sent and you are all sent. But the thing that is at the heart of every revival is prayer and repentance. People say that, that, that the thing that characterizes every single move of the Holy Spirit is when the church is on its knees in prayer and when the church is on its knees in repentance. And in 1 Corinthians again, when Paul is talking about communion, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man, a person, ought to examine their selves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. And so we're going to take communion in a few minutes, but as hopefully, you know, communion reminds us of the sentness of God, because God himself in Jesus, the sent one, is the one who tells us to do this. But Paul, as he reflects on communion, says, don't just do this willy-nilly. Don't just do this without thinking about it. Examine yourself. And that reminder, the thing that has accompanied every great move of the Spirit is the church on its knees in repentance, the church on its knees in prayer. And so I'm actually going to invite us this morning to, to if you're able to, to, to get on your knees. In a moment's time, you know, you can push the chairs around and that sort of thing. But we're just going to, you know, we're not going to have music playing or anything like this. It is just simply a time for you to come before God before we come and take communion, even as we pray for a great move of the Holy Spirit this week, as we step out, as we go out, to remember that this move of the Holy Spirit starts with us on our knees in prayer, on our knees in repentance. In Matthew chapter 5, you know, in the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That mourning that Jesus is talking about is not mourning over death, the morning that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5 as he gives that great sermon on the mount is mourning over sin. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn over their sin and the sin of the world. I'm chucking that bit in, but that is what it means. Blessed are those who mourn for the state of their hearts. Blessed are those who mourn because they realize who they are without God. And so we're going to have a time this morning and I invite you and all I can say is that I, I'm trying to do this myself I don't know you know thank thank God for the grace of God amen but to mourn for our sin to repent of our sin it was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more and yet it is when we recognize who we are before a holy God that we can approach these tables that we can celebrate the victory of Christ and we can respond fully to his call to go out as his sent people. So we're going to pray if you're able to, um, if you want to pray on your knees and in a couple of moments time I'll, I'll lead us in, uh, in a prayer before we take communion. If I could ask that um, the church leaders who are here, if you could come and Take, uh, take some bread, the bread and the juice. And then as you are ready, after I've prayed, there is no rush. <laughs> We've got all day. There is no rush. But as you are ready, come and eat and drink as brothers and sisters, as sent ones 
forgiven ones following after the sent God.